0: Don't miss out. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com to schedule your free in-home estimate.
1: Play to win the game. You know, it's interesting how we compartmentalize people. Because, frankly, we don't have the time or the energy. There's too many facts that you have to understand in a day. You need to know when your relatives' birthdays are, when the next time is that you need to take your dog to the vet or take yourself to the dentist. You need to remember where you parked your car and what you're doing with work and, and all of these different things. And there's so many celebrities and movies and shows that you find this one little thing to hold on to, to remember that person by. Hello? You play to win the game. Herm Edwards is no exception to this fact. He's a guy that... Since that speech happened, 15 years ago, all the way back in 2002, that's been to many people who and what Herm Edwards is. But did you know that not only is Herm Edwards one of the most successful Eagles in NFL history, but he overcame the odds... In such a monumental fashion. And he is just such an astounding, interesting, charismatic, and quirky figure. And we will get into all of that today. Hello and welcome to the show. I am Vince Quinn. And this is another episode of Upon Further Review. Product of BGN Radio. And whether you're listening on Stitcher, iTunes, all that stuff. Appreciate you being here. And five star ratings go a long way. So yes, we are talking about... Herm Edwards and again he's someone who's known for his speech in the middle of a season a guy caught up in the moment and naturally so being a football coach of an NFL team with all of the scrutiny and attention that comes with being in New York City it's a very troubling trying thing and I'll explain how we got to that moment in time and why it did lead to define his career and how people missed the actual significance of that speech. We will get to all of that, but we have to start in a very unexpected and troubling place. We start in Germany during World War II because Herm Edwards Sr., the father of Herm Edwards that you know, he's actually Herm Edwards Jr., well, Herm Edwards Sr. is stationed in Germany during World War II, and he is an African-American soldier. Now, while he spends the time in Germany, he ends up meeting a woman who is native to the country of Germany. She works near the base that Herm Edwards Sr. is uh, located on. They meet over six years, they get very friendly, so much so that when Herm Edwards Sr. comes back to the United States, she comes with him. This is in the early 50s of the United States of America. You have a black man and a German woman fresh out of World War II as an interracial couple. And things were not easy for them. They had a story that they shared where their next-door neighbor, they had just bought a house. They ended up living, the Herm Edwards Jr. was actually born in New Jersey at an army base, but ultimately they ended up moving to California, located near a different base. And when they bought a house out there, their next-door neighbor, before they had moved in, you know, the way they described it was, before we even put up the wallpaper, their next-door neighbor called the realtor to complain and cry and plead to say, please don't sell these people this house. That's the kind of situation that Herm Edwards grows up in. And, and that's the kind of father he had. See, to understand Herm Edwards and the, and the drive and the passion and the fury of that speech that came out on that day in October in 2002 and all the things that led up to that day, you have to understand the the pride and the will of Herm Edwards Senior, and what that means to Junior, and and that is a powerful thing to live that way at that time with so much resistance. I mean, segregation is legal at this time when Herm Edwards is born in 1954. These these are not easy times by any stretch of the imag- imagination. You had to be tough, and Herm Edwards junior and senior, certainly tough. And at times, a little bit ah, braggadocious, I guess we'll say. Herm Edwards Jr. was a confident kid. And he has times where he said, when I was eight years old playing football on the street with kids, I'd, I'd destroy them. And I would tell them I was going to go pro. And it happened again in high school where he one time walks into his coach's office And as a sophomore, so not this established senior getting recruiting offers and all these things, he's a younger kid. And he walks in and just says, coach, I'm going to play in the NFL one day. The coach brushes it off. It's, you know, whatever. Hey, yeah, good luck to you, kid. But Herm Edwards, with all this confidence, will soon have a great career, but it's not an easy start for him. You see, Herm Edwards, despite having a good college career, he was noted at one point of having forty eight interceptions in high school. Now, you can go and look up high school numbers from the seventies. Good luck to you. But I don't know if it's true, but forty eight interceptions, you get the idea. He was a very successful high school uh player. He was he was a defensive back. And he was able to go to the University of California to play football. Now the thing is, with that enthusiasm, with that arrogant sort of nature that he had, Herm Edwards had problems in college. It wasn't the easiest path that a star athlete would have because he didn't get along with the coach. Now, there's not many details outside of that, but the general idea being that he struggled so much that he left the team his first year at the University of California. He took a year off. He came back for another season, and then he transferred. So it was a toxic, bad relationship for both sides, so much so that he couldn't even continue to play football there, or they wouldn't allow him. I, I can't find the uh, the facts on that. But he transfers to a junior college. He goes to Monterey Peninsula Junior College for a year, and then he goes to San Diego State. So this is a troubling start for a guy who at 8 years old and 15, 16 years old is saying, I'm going to go pro. Well, usually the path to going pro You want to have a pretty stable, safe college career. You look at the NFL now and guys with red flags can fall all the way out of the draft entirely. Well, it turns out that that same thing happened in 1977. Despite being a talented player, Herm Edwards was not drafted in a 12-round draft. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that He was a troublemaker of sorts. He was labeled as being someone that was a little bit out of control. Uh, Uncoachable was a label that was applied to Herm Edwards. So he's not drafted.
0: He also runs a slow 40 time. 4.85 as a corner. So he's not drafted. But the team
1: that sees something in this problematic star talent athlete is a man named Carl Peterson. Now, Carl Peterson is someone you may not know, but he's someone that plays an important part in the Eagles' history because he is the director of personnel for the Eagles in 1977. And this is a time where, if uh, you listen to the Bill Berge episode I did before, this is a very good, interesting time for the Eagles because you are now in 1977 in the second year of the tenure of Dick Vermeil. Bill Berge has been brought into the organization. There's good pieces here that in a few years will be able to take off and really go somewhere. But Carl Peterson is the personnel director that is a big part of this. And One of the reasons why he's such a big part, well, you see it in Herm Edwards because Herm Edwards, not being drafted in a 12 round draft, does something that is, even today, in a seven round draft, he does something that is absolutely unthinkable for an undrafted rookie free agent. He's a starter by the very first preseason game. Wow. And, and the other thing that you have to note here for how impressive that is, it's not the modern day of football. Today, you'd say, OK, we'll draft a corner and we'll play him in the slot for a little bit. He'll come in on some nickel situations and some dime situations. And, and he's not really a starter, but he's kind of a starter. He's that 12th starter that people apply here and there. No, no, no. This is 1977, and you're not going to have a starter as your nickel cornerback. Herm Edwards, as an undrafted rookie, is able to establish a starting role on the Philadelphia Eagles at the first preseason game. And this isn't like there's been situations where rookies get put into these, these spots, these starting roles, out of necessity or incompetence because of an organization. But Herm Edwards shows immediately that he's totally deserving of this role, and it is an excellent signing. It's a real coup. It's it's a historically great coup, really, for the Philadelphia Eagles with perhaps the greatest undrafted rookie that they've ever seen because Herm Edwards, in his first season, six interceptions in 14 games. I mean, that is phenomenal. And he follows it up again, this stellar performance in 77, where he starts all 14 games because, again, he was named the starter in the preseason. He follows it up again in 1978. And he has seven interceptions, which is pretty important. You know, six his first year, seven his next season, so he's no fluke. But the most important turnover... That Herm Edwards had in his career. It's a fumble recovery. And you might have heard of it. It's called the miracle in the Meadowlands. So what happened? It was November 19th, 1978. Eagles-Giants in the Meadowlands. Now, this is a crossroads period for both of the teams. You see the Eagles the previous year had still been pretty bad. They were developing underneath Dick Vermeil and they had a losing record. And going into this game, the Eagles are hot. They look pretty good. They've got a 7 and 5 record. The Giants meanwhile are 5 and 7. Given the importance of divisional matchups and tiebreakers and all those things, this is obviously a very big game for the Eagles. And what happens is the Giants lead throughout the entire game. They score in the first quarter. They, they go up to, I believe, a 14-0 lead in the first quarter. They end up getting another field goal in the third quarter. Gets to the fourth, and there's just maybe two minutes left in the game. Ron Jaworski throws an interception, and the Eagles, down 17-12, to feel completely lost. Ron Jaworski's hanging his head on the sideline. It's his third interception of the game. You know the kind of heat that he's going to take for it. He
0: doesn't feel great about it. It's just misery. But an interesting thing happens.
1: For the New York Giants, who are 5-7 and seven going into this game, struggling, feeling lost, they go for, it's an unconventional, it's not a kneel, it's more of a dive with their starting quarterback, Joe Pisarczyk. He essentially flops to the ground. It's not a graceful thing. And an Eagles linebacker, Frank Lamaster taking advantage of the rules and common sense at the time, smacks the crap out of Joe Pisarczyk. Destroys him. And the Giants are not too happy about that. They also don't like that their quarterback's been exposed. So as they continue to run out the clock, they decide to call a handoff. And they give it to someone who ends up being a Hall of Famer, a great player, towards the end of his career at this time, in Larry Zonka. And Larry Zonka takes that ball And he rams it down the Eagles' throats for 11 yards. Now, thanks to the yardage lost on the previous
0: play, it's not a first down. And on third down, they run the ball again. It's the
1: same exact play. But here's the peculiar thing. The call in itself is nonsensical. When the first handoff was done with Larry Zonka, teammates in the huddle are telling Joe Pisarczyk, the quarterback of this team, a young quarterback of this team, I think only in his second season, they're saying, Joe, you got to ignore the coach. Just kneel it. Just kneel it. Just fall on the ball again. It's fine. But Pisarczyk had been chewed out by the offensive coordinator a week before for audibling on a play that he wasn't supposed to audible on. So he goes through with it, and that first handoff, it works. But the other thing is, on top of the natural inclination would just be to, at this time, in this point in history, fall over. The handoff that's called requires a very strange motion. Typically, if you had, imagine you're the quarterback, you have a run, a handoff going to your left side. Well, you would imagine that you would snap the ball, you would pivot briefly to the left-hand side, extend the ball, and allow your running back to take it. This play, which they called twice in a row, requires Pasarczyk turn to the right-hand side and swing almost a, you know 270 degrees, three-quarters of a turn. He has to swing around entirely the other direction to hand off the ball to Larry Zonka. If it's done successfully... This would seal the game, and the Giants get a much-needed win against a divisional opponent at a point where they're pretty desperate. Instead, Larry Zonka is a little bit fast getting to the line of scrimmage. That turn is just a little bit too slow. And Herm Edwards, a second-year undrafted rookie free agent, happens to be blitzing at that time and the ball it happens to bounce off of Zanka, and it bounces off of Pisarczyk and Pisarczyk dives at the ball as it's bouncing away from him again and it
0: goes right into the hands of Herm Edwards and he goes 26 yards and he scores and the Eagles take the lead 18-17 they kick the extra point 19-17 the game is over
1: And it's a huge win for the Eagles. And it's something that is absolutely devastating to the New York Giants. Their offensive coordinator, Bob Gibson, he's fired the next day.
0: And not only was he fired, he retires. He's never spoken about that play in his life. Never
1: once publicly. He's been asked years and years and years. That all these stories that say, hey, it's 25 years, it's 30 years, whatever. They always try to talk to him. And he says, no, I won't do it. I've, never said it. I've never talked about it publicly, and I never will. This play ruined Bob Gibson, the coordinator of the Giants. It absolutely destroyed him. It ended his career on the spot. And he's obviously never recovered. Joe Pisarczyk, who was the quarterback at that time, he ends up leaving the Giants shortly thereafter. The next year, Phil Simms had taken over his quarterback, a young Phil Simms, 24-year-old Phil Simms, and ironically, Joe Pisarczyk, a few years later, ends up joining the Philadelphia Eagles, where he plays five years of his career as a backup quarterback. And the Giants, not only do they lose this game, where it's absolutely heartbreaking, but... They had lost three straight going into that game and losing to the Eagles, they lose another two after that. They lose six, six straight games on the season. They go from being five and seven in that game and finishing the season six and 10. Larry Zonka leaves the Giants after that year, returns to Miami for a final season. The head coach is fired after that year. And if you don't think a lot of that has to do with the miracle in the Meadowlands, you are completely mistaken. Devastating. What that moment did. And for Herm Edwards, it's so interesting because what happens on that play where he scoops this ball up and runs 26 yards and and wins the game? It changes the history of football because as people have put it, for example, uh, Bill Musgrave, who's been a part of the NFL for a long time, he's been an offensive coordinator for dozens of teams. He talks about it. He says, and the next week, every team in football was working on a kneel down play. And that kneel down play has been how you do it at the end of a game ever since that moment. That's such a common thing, right? There's so many times in in human history where, or even in your own life experience, where something happens that's really catastrophically bad, and then a bunch of measures are put in place to prevent that thing from ever happening again. For example, there was the shoe bomber all those years ago. So what happens when you go into an airport? You're taking off your shoes. 9-11 happened, and so there's far more security at the airport. Maybe you burned yourself on the stove when you were a kid. I had this moment where I was maybe five years old. I saw a light bulb in the fridge, and I thought, oh, well, the fridge is cold. but this will, I'm curious, and I just touched the light bulb, and it burned me. And what do you know? I never touched that light bulb again, but I learned something, and it stuck with me all that time. It's, it's these little disasters that can make so much change. So Herm Edwards as a result of this play, basically becomes the godfather of the victory formation. Everyone's developing this play, has this play, and, and in some circles it was described for a little while as the Herm Edwards formation. This is in the second year of a guy who was an undrafted rookie the previous year. Truly special. And for Herm Edwards, it's, it's a special career overall because... In his time with the Philadelphia Eagles, which was really for his entire career, he plays nine seasons, and he never misses a game. He has 33 interceptions over his career, which is only one shy of the franchise record behind Brian Dawkins, Bill Bradley, and uh, Eric Allen. So this is a... Really impressive career that he's been putting together. He's a part of the Miracle of the Meadowlands. He's a part of the Super Bowl appearance in 1980. And by the way, he had two interceptions in the first round of those playoffs to help the Eagles beat the Vikings. Herm Edwards, as a undrafted out of 12 rounds rookie free agent is the most exceptional undrafted rookie free agent you could ever ask for. He had a stellar, stunning career
0: that helped change the game of football. And he wasn't done there. Because after
1: that, Herm Edwards decides to take his ability into the coaching world. You see, he retired in the 1986 season. He went into training camp. Uh, Buddy Ryan had just taken over the team. And Buddy Ryan gets rid of Herm Edwards, who, at that point, he's 31 years old, 32 years old. It's not all that unbelievable. But he he tries a brief stint in Atlanta. He tries a brief stint with what was then the L.A. Rams, And decides to give it up. So he goes into the coaching ranks shortly thereafter. So he spends some time at San Jose State. He's a defensive backs coach there for three years. Then he leaps back to the NFL, where he's a scout for a couple of years. Then he becomes the defensive back coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. He moves over to the Buccaneers, where he continues to be a defensive back coach with Tony Dungy from 96 to 2000. And from there, Herm Edwards, in 2001, is just the fifth black coach in NFL history. And he gets that job with the New York Jets. Now, that silly phrase, that angry press conference, is going to be the first thing that comes to your mind. It defines him. It's how we know him. But his coaching career with the Jets, pretty successful. His first season, he goes 10-6. and He gets to the playoffs. In his second season, things are a little different. So it's 2002, and the Jets coming off a 10-6 and year, where they do get to the playoffs, they struggle out of the gate. And it's a pretty catastrophic struggle because they are losing nonstop. They win week one. It's an overtime win. But then the next week, you're, you're playing New England, division opponent, they lose. Miami, division opponent, they lose. The Jacksonville Jaguars, loss. Chiefs, loss. It's nonstop. It gets to a point in week seven, or rather their seventh game of the year, week eight,
0: they play The Cleveland Browns. And what do you know? They lose. So a ten and six team
1: at this point, they end up being two and five and just lost to the Cleveland freaking Browns. So you know what? In two thousand and two, when Herm Edwards takes that stage and has to address the media in the middle of the week about how he feels about his team, well, you know what? He's pretty pissed. He feels like his teams quit. They're not trying. And he has this military background. He has worked against the odds. He did play in every single game that he could as a professional player. Even though he wasn't the fastest guy in the world. Because he worked hard on his technique. And he worked hard on paying attention to the other cues from the other team. This guy cares, was a football lifer, had been working so hard for this moment. And to be the head coach, to see a team be successful and become 2-5... and you know what? You know what I'm going to say when
0: my players aren't working hard? You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. It worked. That's the thing that people don't tell you. After that speech where
1: Herm Edwards rants and raves and he's played all over SportsCenter, we all have a good laugh because, oh, there goes Herm, he's off the handle. The speech worked, and it worked in amazing fashion, because the New York Jets, right after they get their asses handed to them by their head coach in a public national forum, they start winning. Funny how things change when you put people on the carpet. Yeah, they have a four game winning streak after that. And by the end of the season, they go from being a two and five team to a nine and seven team. Seven and two after the you play to win the game speech. No one remembers that. They made it to the playoffs. They played the Indianapolis Colts, led by Peyton Manning. And what do you know? They won the game. You don't remember that. That sounds like a hell of a coaching job to me. And that's what you got with Herm Edwards, a guy that was was fiery and passionate, and that military background so deeply embedded in him, this hard, trying effort. He had a a weird quirk where he would wear, he would dress up nicely for games, and he would wear dress shoes, and he would actually make this big fuss about polishing his own dress shoes before games because when he was a kid, his first job was polishing shoes on an Army base. So you see how, how much it meant to him and how, how all of this history, it, it just builds into who he was and, and how he did this job as a player that was, again, undrafted and as a coach. And so his Jets tenure, yes, it's quite successful so that first year, ten and six with a playoff appearance. The second year in two thousand two, nine and seven with a playoff win. Then they have a rough year, going six and 10 in 2003. But in two thousand four, they're ten and six again. Two thousand and five, they're an injury riddled team. Chad Pennington gets injured. Um, they had uh, that guy who was like forty five years old and would just not stop. Vinny Testaverde, that's it. Vinny Testaverde was on that team, and he was injured as well. And And it just didn't work. So they fell apart that year in 2005. But Herm Edwards was not fired. And this is another interesting wrinkle to the path that he took. The path that is always belittled so much by that simple you play to win the game speech.
0: Herm Edwards is traded to the Kansas City Chiefs. He's not cut. He doesn't
1: resign. He's traded. The Kansas City Chiefs, at this time, it's worth noting, are run by a figure that you should know. His name is Carl Peterson. Yes, it's that same Carl Peterson that signed Herm Edwards as an undrafted rookie free agent in 1977. He's running the Chiefs in 2006 and sees that the Jets are a little bit fed up with him and blaming him for the injuries and the the lack of ability to correct after those injuries, and he says, I know this guy, I know his passion, I know how he cares for his players, and I want him, so the Chiefs give up a fourth-round draft pick and get Herm Edwards in return, that fourth-round draft pick, by the way, turned out to be a pretty good player for the Jets, and you may know him, Leon Washington, had a good career as a special teamer. He was a third down back. Just a pretty good player. Definitely worth a fourth-round pick and, and a trade that at least initially seemed to work out for both sides because Herm Edwards, who had been in the playoffs three years out of his five as a head coach of the New York Jets, and this is worth noting, by the way. 2001 to 2005, as the Patriots are winning their first three Super Bowls and becoming a dynasty, Herm Edwards is competing and getting to the playoffs in that era. But now he joins the Kansas City Chiefs, and in their first year, with an old team, by the way, you have Trent Green, who's very old, Will Shields, who's a Hall of Fame tackle, is on that team, Willie Rowe, a Hall of Fame guard, should be at least, if he's not already, on that team. And they're able to squeeze out a 9-7 and record they get to the playoffs in Herm Edwards' first year. And after that, there's a couple of things. And not to say that Herm Edwards doesn't have his faults. The, the most notable of which was his clock management. Something that, as an Eagles fan, might make you groan. But yes, Herm Edwards had clock management issues. He had some issues with defensive scheme. But he also had an old team. And so... You see the changes. So many defensive starters for the Kansas City Chiefs. Once you go from 2006 to 2007, I mean, these guys are either falling off the map or crumbling within themselves. Guys like Ty Law are playing on the back end for the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Sertan. These are guys that were on to their second teams, their third teams, and you know how it is with veterans like that. They're just not going to perform at the same level. The offensive line was starting to retire. Will Shields retired at this point. Uh, Waters, Brian Waters is getting to the point where he's like 31 years old. It's a time of transition. And unfortunately for Herm Edwards, it's a transition that he doesn't survive because there's a lot of young talent on that team. Jared Allen is beginning to become a premier pass rusher. Tom Bahali, who's still with the Chiefs. Derek Johnson, still with the Chiefs. There were some good players there. There were good things to be had, but the organization just began to crumble and he wasn't able to stick. But he did, however, find a job with ESPN. And he's been an analyst ever since he was fired from the Kansas City Chiefs. In uh, 2008, he's been with ESPN. And so, with all that, as we conclude upon further review, and if you've enjoyed the show, please tweet me at It's Vince Quinn. That's one word, at It's Vince Quinn. Would love to hear your thoughts. You get to appreciate how interesting and peculiar
0: this Herm Edwards is, how, how unlikely his career is.
1: The product of a black man and a German national in the 50s who goes undrafted, starts every game of his career, including the first preseason game, gets to a Super Bowl, is the second person all-time in interceptions for his franchise, becomes the fifth black head coach in American history. I mean, it's remarkable. He, he's covered all the dreams that so many people within the sports world have wanted to do, and he's done them pretty well. But all the people tend to remember is, you play to win the game. And that's a shame. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on the show. Again, at It's Vince Quinn. Also, uh, listen to previous episodes. You can find previous episodes on iTunes, on Stitcher, whatever format you're listening to now. We have previous episodes of the show out there. Uh, also continue to listen to the other episodes we have with BGN Radio because uh, always good work over there breaking down the current day things that are going on with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I will continue to dive back into these crazy, interesting, overlooked stories, the the origin of the victory formation. I had no idea Herm Edwards had anything to do with that. Now I know. So we'll continue these dives into history, and we'll do it again next week. Thank you for joining the show. I am Vince Quinn, and this is Upon Further Review. Take care.